Welcome to the Wealth Navigation Podcast with Scott Showers from Focus Financial Group and Ryan Newton from Front Porch Financial Planning. In this podcast, Scott and Ryan focus on helping people identify their values and align those values with their most important goals, which financial planning is built on. Together, they draw from years of expertise and guest experts to explore underutilized financial planning tools and techniques in a new light. Now onto the show. Hello, everyone. Scott and Ryan here with you once again. And today we're going to be talking about income distribution strategies, also known as income planning, which are critical in helping you manage the risk of making your money last as long as you live. Exciting stuff, right, Ryan? Absolutely. Hello, everyone. All right. How are we going to talk about this and keep it interesting and not boring? Any thoughts? Putting you on the spot. Well, uh, there's, I think it's very interesting because this basically is going to determine whether or not your retirement is successful. So it's critically important. Um, if you want to make sure you don't run out of money before you run out of breath, uh, then this is the podcast for you. So this really impacts people that are ready to retire, getting ready to retire, might already be retired then. Absolutely. Yeah, these are some strategies designed to increase income, reduce taxes, improve distribution to heirs, right? You know, in some instances, and really have nothing to do with market performance. Okay. All right. Let me let me ask you, what, what do people really need to look out for? What are kind of some of the main implications, do you think, of of income distribution strategies, uh, income planning? Well, you know, obviously there's market risk, right? Uh, a lot of people get uh, very conservative as they approach retirement or, you know, in retirement. So they may not think that market risk affects them, uh, but odds are they're going to need to have some exposure to the stock market, um, you know, to and through retirement. Um, so market risk is one. Another one would be tax risk, which, you know, people don't really think about taxes so much in retirement. They think, oh, I'm not going to be making as much money or I won't have as much income. So I don't have to worry about taxes so much. Uh, but taxes uh, do erode your retirement a lot faster than people think um, that it will. And, you know, if you've done a good retirement plan, then your income should be roughly the same. Obviously, you don't need 100% of your wages in retirement. You're not living off 100% of your wages while working. But a good retirement plan, you should not have to take a, a drastic reduction in your standard of living. So you've got market risk, you've got tax risk, and of course, you know longevity risk, right? People are living longer. Absolutely. Right? That, that kind of gets to the four key points that we're going to talk about with everyone today. Uh, the first one being having an income strategy to help manage this risk. Um, the second one being how to potentially insure your income. Uh, number three is going to be using what we call our bucket strategy to manage point in time risk. And then finally, we're going to talk about using the bucket strategy for tax planning purposes. So 
we're going to we're going to dive into this right now and and really that first thing is having an income strategy to help you manage this risk and the reason that we do that is so you don't outlive your money we want to make your money last as long as you do and then Ryan there's uh there's this thing called asset dedication versus asset allocation do you want to explain that just a little bit Sure. Yeah. You know, people are probably familiar with the term asset allocation, right? How much of your portfolio or account, you know, is allocated to a specific asset class, you know, like stocks or bonds. And obviously within those classifications, we have, um, we can reduce it even more, right? There's large cap stocks, mid cap stocks, there's value, there's growth, you know, in the bond space, there's corporate, there's government bonds, right? There's investment grade, there's junk, et cetera, et cetera, right? Asset allocation, how much of your account or balance is allocated to each different type of asset. But asset dedication is different, right? This means we have certain assets dedicated to certain goals, right? Specific goals, so this is another way of really saying buckets, right? Different buckets for different goals, right? When are you going to need the money is one of the biggest drivers, right? Um, but it's not just about asset allocation. It's let's what assets can we dedicate to certain goals? Which assets make sense to dedicate to certain goals? And from and our experience, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, the, the reason you want to do that is so that you can rest easier at night, right? No one – go ahead. Yeah, we just we, – we don't want folks having those knee-jerk reactions to the markets, the economy, interest rate changes, or even the, the latest headlines, right? Exactly, and it's, it's very easy to react to those things because they're highly emotional. Uh, of course, the media does a good job of making it emotional, um, but that's how they you, sell advertising, man. <laughs> I know, right? I know. Right. Uh, it's a great system <laughs> for them. <laughs> yes. Uh, but not so much for our clients. We want our clients to be able to tune out a lot of that stuff. Uh, you may remember from an earlier podcast, it all goes back to the plan, right? What is your plan? When do we need this money? How much are we going to need? Let's let the plan dictate the risk that we take, the asset allocation, the asset dedication versus the latest headlines. Yeah, very, very important point. And it helps keep people focused and on track so that they can kind of tune some of that stuff out. Because again, we want to help folks focus on the things that they can control. And we can't ex control any of these external factors. So at the end of the day, we're going to focus on the things that that we can control and that's why we're having this conversation today. So one of the ways to kind of help create uh, that income plan, Ryan, uh, we've talked a little bit about what is called immunization. Do you want to kind of take that a little further and explain to our listeners what, what that means in the uh, financial sense? Sure. Immunization, <clears throat> not, not what you may think. Uh, immunization, really, I'll give a kind of just a general description so if you're you have a concept called duration and you may be familiar with what duration is uh, especially in a rising interest rate environment 
So duration is essentially the weighted average maturity of the cash flow from a bond or from fixed income. A way I like to think about it, which is not 100% accurate, but it helps me and helps some clients understand it, is basically how long is it going to take to get your investment back? How long will it take to recoup your money? So duration weights the cash flow from a bond or from fixed income. And immunization is trying to build a bond portfolio where the average duration, the cash flow, so when are you going to get your money, is made equal to the time horizon. So when are you going to need the money? So essentially, we want to be getting the money when we need it, right? <laughs> that makes sense to me. <laughs> Very simple. A little bit uh, more complicated to do, but this is the idea, and it's very doable. It's just uh, you have to do a little bit of uh, building in your bond portfolio. Uh, and we take care of this, obviously, for, for our clients. But essentially, it neutralizes interest rate volatility. So it, when interest rates go up, bond prices go down. We probably all experienced that recently. When interest rates go down, bond prices go up, right? Like a teeter-totter or seesaw. Okay, well, if I know that I'm going to get the money from my bond portfolio precisely when I need it, right, the duration is equal to my time frame for needing the money, then I don't really care if interest rates change, right, while I'm holding that bond portfolio, now, if interest rates go up, my bond portfolio will lose value, but I don't really care. In other words, I'm not going to make a knee-jerk reaction and sell those bonds, you know, especially when they're down in value, right? Because I know if I just hold them, right, probably until maturity, depending on what type of bond it is, I'm going to get par value. I'm going to get my money. So it can fluctuate all at once while I'm holding the money. I don't particularly care because I'm going to get my money when I need it. So it doesn't remove interest rate volatility, but it in effect neutralizes it, makes it a moot point. So, so this kind of ties back in with what we're going to talk about here in just a few minutes on, on our, our bucket strategy, right? Exactly right. We're dedicating our bond portfolio or a portion of it to a particular goal. And if the duration of that bond portfolio equals my time frame for needing the money, then I'm a, I've effectively neutralized interest rate volatility, which is huge when it comes to a bond portfolio. Perfect. Well, another way too is ensuring your income and there are a number of ways to potentially do that. Do you want to kind of just briefly talk about that and then the benefits of doing so? Well, sure, sure. Uh, <clears throat> so for some people, it's a good idea or might be a good idea to ensure their income. Uh, you know, and how do you do this? Well, you transfer your longevity risk to an insurance company, right, in relation to your money, right? Longevity risk is essentially living too long, right? Outliving your money, right? Now, caveat, the insured income, right? This insurance, since you're using an insurance company, 
is based upon the claims paying ability of the insurance company that you choose to insure your income with, right? So the financial strength of the insurer, the insurance company is paramount, right? Of the utmost importance. But essentially, you're giving your money to the insurance company and they will give you insured income for your life, lives, a period of time, you know, whatever time frame you need it for. Okay. So, you know, using the, the immunization strategy, insuring your income, and then utilizing this bucket allocation strategy, I mean, you could use one, two, or, or really any of these strategies as a complete whole to accomplish that um, so that you can sleep better at night. Is that a, that a fair assumption? That's exactly right. You know, uh, if you utilize one or a combination of these strategies, now we're certainly not addressing every strategy. We're just talking about a few of them here. Yeah. That you should be able to rest well knowing that your paycheck, you know, the monthly amount of income that you need has been replaced, right? Like almost like creating your own personal pension. So your monthly bills could be covered with your insured income. Your bond portfolio can be immunized and be available for a specific goal at some point in the future. And then you could have other buckets like growth buckets that, you know, could be considered your play check, you know, in a particular year, allow you to do some more of the fun stuff, right? Go on, uh, on a trip or you know, spend time with family, extra birthday gifts, or whatever it is that you want to do. We like we like playtime, don't we? Absolutely. Most, most everybody does. And let, let's do a little deeper dive into ensuring your income. Um, you know, if, if somebody does that, they, they rest well knowing that they've been able to replace their paycheck. You know, that, that portion of their budget is covered. And... So they can really now consider the rest of their portfolio, their plate check, mm-hmm. which I kind of like that term. And then additionally, you know, one of the things that we like to do is people ask us, well, how do we get to that point? And it all starts with creating a plan, again, based upon your values and goals and what's important to you, which drives the entire process of determining, one, how much income you're going to need and how much of that income you really need to insure if you choose to do that. Why don't you give us an idea, what about percentage of your wages that you need to replace in retirement? You, you touched on that a little bit earlier. Right. But let, let's a little do deeper dive into that. Yeah, a misconception that people sometimes have is that they feel like they want to replace 100% of their salary, right? You know, for example, I make $100,000. I want $100,000 in uh, yearly income in retirement. But in reality, you're not living off 100000 right? You know, so let's just start at, say, 100% of a hundred thousand. Well, you, you have to pay your social security and Medicare tax, right? Your FICA tax is 7.65%. You're likely contributing to a 401k or other retirement. Um, maybe 
You have other expenditures that will not continue in retirement, like dry cleaning or parking and or transit pass or, you know, whatever it may be that goes away. So let's say, you know, you're contributing 10% to your 401k, another couple percent for uh, some other expenditures that are going away, your 7.65%, you add it all up. Let's say that equals about 20%. Well, if 20% uh, of your wages you're not going to need in retirement, then we really only need 80%. Okay, So the way we, we start with trying to determine how much of the income needs to be insured is simply by figuring out what the wage replacement ratio needs to be. That's a fancy term. <laughs> Doesn't it sound fancy? <laughs> uh, but it's really just like I described, starting at 100% and subtracting yeah. those expenditures that are going to be going away in retirement. You know, for example, some people like to have their mortgage paid off. Well, great. If it's yeah. going to be paid off uh, by retirement, then we don't need to replace that amount of the wages that are going towards the mortgage, right? Uh, great, still great need point. Pro- property taxes, of course, and insurance. Uh, but, you know, little things like that. Obviously, things change throughout retirement, but this is just a starting point to determine, all right, how much are we going to need coming in each month? What are our monthly expenditures that are going to continue in retirement that we need to and replace? As well as funding specific goals at specific times, too. And we'll exactly. we'll talk a little further about that here in just a minute. Exactly right. But we want to make sure your paycheck So we start the process by trying to figure out how much of your paycheck we're going to need in retirement, right? What expenditures are going to continue on in retirement? How much of our wages are we going to need to replace? So how much are we actually living on today? What expenditures are going away? What are continuing? And then we can start by helping you to determine how much of your income you need to insure by how much of your income or paycheck we want to replace. And one thing I think is important is not everybody needs to insure their income either. It's, exactly. it's on a, it's on a case by case basis, depending on what those individual needs are. Exactly. So the other thing that we had talked about, which is getting to uh, point number three is utilizing the uh, the bucket strategy approach to manage point in time risk, and really that's just kind of a fancy way of saying we want to make sure that we have the right amount of money in the right accounts at the right time, and because we don't want to be removing money from from accounts when they're down in value, and this is one way to help manage that risk. It's not going to eliminate it, but it helps manage it. So what what I'd like our listeners to do just visualize three buckets. In the first bucket, that is the bucket that holds your checking, savings, your money market type accounts. This is money that you can typically get your hands on, $100 bills by the end of business today. And for each person, each couple, um, the amount of money that they want to have on hand for emergency reserves, it's different for everybody. Now, there's a lot of rules of thumb out there, isn't there, Ryan, regarding that? 
Absolutely. Three months, six months of your fixed and variable expenses. It it can depend. Yeah. And our position is it's whatever uh, brings you a level of comfort. So, um, so that's bucket number one. And bucket number two, we have what's called the fallback bucket, or we also call this a low volatility bucket. It kind of has two interchanging names. And this is where we allocate your income needs for the next three to seven years, again, depending on your individual circumstances. And the reason that we do that is, you know, you make a little bit of interest in this bucket. Um, It's fairly stable. It is going to fluctuate in value, but it will be there to serve as a backstop for when you need that money and that income. And then if you can visualize bucket three, that is our long-term growth bucket, which you may not even have to touch for three years or beyond. It just, again, it depends on what your needs are. And we leave that bucket alone, but then as it grows over time, we can use that bucket to refill buckets one and two as needed. So it's it's a judgment call on our behalf um, as far as which buckets we're going to use and how we're going to fill things back up. Um, and... Again, it helps manage this point-in-time risk so that we're not removing money from accounts when they're, when they're down in values. So, Ryan, yeah, go ahead. Go we, ahead. We, still buying low, selling high is the optimal strategy, correct? <laughs> right? <laughs> that still holds true? Um, well, why don't you dive into that a little more? Well, that's that's part of using these different buckets, right? For any short-term goals, we would want to use bucket one or bucket two, right? That allows you to withstand the fluctuations in bucket three, right? Exactly. You don't have to sell when the market is down, right? So so how do you determine how much goes into each bucket, right? That you said it's kind of a judgment call, right? Well, it depends on how much you, the client, will need and when. Right. How much are you going to need and when? Right. So as best we can, we help our clients quantify these goals. Right. How much do you think you're going to need and when? Right. Then if you still have income or can still save towards these goals. Right. Well, then how much? How much can you save towards these goals? Right. So once we know how much you need and when you're going to need it, and how much you can save between now and then towards that goal, that will help us dictate the rate of return that you need, right, to grow the money to the amount that you need, right? Once we know the rate of return, then we can help select the appropriate asset classes that should give us that return, right, all within your risk tolerance, right, your risk comfort level, right? So that's how we select the bucket, what goes in each bucket. It's all, again, based on your goals, the amount of time we have, how much you can save, how much risk you're comfortable with. We believe that this is a much better approach to building a portfolio, filling these buckets, than simply filling out a risk tolerance questionnaire and selecting some type of cookie cutter portfolio 
you know, for the bulk of your assets. Yeah, well, very, very good point, Ryan. And as you can see from this conversation so far, um, there are numerous moving parts to this strategy. And what I want to caution people of is simple free software and spreadsheets typically are not able to run some of the complex calculations just to know how much to withdraw from accounts, the different buckets. And this is vitally important when when using this strategy because a lot of the, the simpler pieces of software will have you spending down a particular account um, and, and it just is not up to the task of, of running the complex ca- calculations that are needed to, to make this work over time. Yeah, it's, it's much more difficult, uh, you know, in the free versions of software and the stuff online to dedicate certain funds, assets, accounts towards goals, right? It's kind of a big picture. Hey, this is how much money you're going to need to provide this amount of income. But there are lots of assumptions in there. It's usually a linear growth, which doesn't factor in, you know, that point in time risk or sequence of return risk. And like you said, typically it's going to have you liquidate one type of account first before moving on to another type of account. But in reality, that's not the way you want to do it typically. Typically, you want to pull a little bit from this account, maybe a little bit from another account, you know, some from this bucket, some from that bucket, etc controlling your your risk but also your managing your tax implications yeah taxes that's kind of our our next point that we're going to talk about is you know we're still using some some buckets here but now we're talking about tax planning buckets mm-hmm. so the the strategy that we're talking about here is really to minimize the loss in your portfolio value due to taxes. And keep in mind, everything that we're talking about today really is following current tax laws. And that a dollar inside of a retirement account, such as your traditional IRA or 401k, a dollar is not a dollar. A dollar is more like 70 cents. And that does not include Roth IRAs or Roth 401ks. You've got the full value of that money available. But using the tax code to legally position your portfolio so that it passes to your beneficiaries in the most tax-efficient manner possible is paramount. And I think one of the things that we might just want to talk about briefly is we're kind of explaining this tax strategy bucket is how some recent tax laws took the traditional IRA and traditional 401ks from, in our opinion, some of the best savings vehicles into some of the worst savings vehicles. Do you want to touch on that just a little bit, Ryan? Sure. Um, So again, this is not tax advice. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Uh, But just kind of the way the code is structured um, and some things that you may want to consider or consult with your financial advisor CPA accountant with. Um, and there's also an article uh, where you can read about some of this stuff. Um, the one in particular I'm thinking of is called The Mechanics of the 0% Long-Term Capital Gains Tax Rate and Harvesting Capital Gains for a Free Step-Up and Basis. This is by Michael Kitsis, K-I-T-C-E-S. You can find it at kitsis, K-I-T-C-E-S.com. 
um, or just Google mechanics of the 0% long-term cap gains rate. So shout out to Michael uh, for this article that explains how this works. But basically, if all of your money, your retirement money, is in a 401k or traditional IRA, okay, it's great in that you get the tax deferral going in, right, or the tax reduction deduction going in, um, and it should grow tax deferred. However, when you go to take the money out, right, you have to pay ordinary income typically, right, unless it was an after-tax contribution, uh, but we're just assuming pre-tax contributions. So when you go to take that money out, you have to pay ordinary income tax, okay, which <clears throat> for a lot of people, you know, if they're going to be in a lower income bracket, tax bracket in retirement, that makes sense. I'll take the deduction now, pay the tax later. However, <clears throat> if you do your planning properly and, again, replace the wages you need to replace so you don't have to take a reduction in your standard of living, uh, you may want some tax-free money or at least reduced tax money in retirement as opposed to paying ordinary income tax on all those distributions. And ordinary income tax rates are typically the higher rates, right? The highest rates you'll yeah. pay. Plus, with the SECURE Act that was passed at the end of 2019, um, any monies in IRAs, 401ks, and Roth IRAs for that matter, but any type of retirement accounts that are left to non-spouses – Unless that non-spouse is disabled, chronically ill, or a minor, they have to, in most instances, liquidate that entire account within 10 years following the owner's death. So <clears throat> just like you would pay ordinary income tax on the distributions you took while alive, your heirs will have to pay income tax as they take those distributions in the 10 years following your death. So, so if we've got, say, the child of a client that inherits this large um, IRA account balance, they now have to have that account emptied by the 10th year following death under current tax code. If they're not a if minor. They, if they're not a minor. And, and or, or terminally ill, chronically ill, then yes, 10 years. 10 years. So w what... What can potentially happen here then if we've got somebody that is in a high income tax bracket and they inherit that IRA account, you're, you're looking at a lot of money being lost to taxes just yes, because sir, potentially. of Okay. Okay. I just want people to understand that. Um, I, I, I can't stress how critical that is. And that's what requires some front end planning. You may be better off paying taxes in a lower tax bracket now and then over the long term and again there's a lot of maybes in there and i just want to put that disclaimer out there everybody's situation is different we Absolutely. we i've never seen any any situation with any of the folks that we've worked with where it's identical so um it does require some planning and for the most part the people that we work with they've worked way too hard for their money just to have the vast majority of it lost to taxes due to either just not knowing uh, how the current tax code is working or mistakes being made. 
just because of that uh, lack of knowledge. So um, just don't exactly. want people losing a substantial portion of their money, their hard-earned money, to, and we want to help minimize that tax impact. So, Absolutely, for you and your heir. So let's, let's go back, Scott, just for a second, uh, back to that article I was referencing, the mechanics of the 0% long-term cap gains rate. And I think we can put that in the show notes, a link to that in our show notes. Let's do that. Okay. Uh, the the premise here is that, uh, like I was saying before, um, if all of your retirement savings are in one of these tax-deferred accounts, like a 401k, a traditional IRA, when you go to take the money out, you're going to be paying ordinary income tax rates, which, like I said before, typically the highest rates you'll pay, you know, 24, 28, 35, 37%, right? Depending on what your income is. Well, if you are still working, or even if you're not still working, but you have some discretionary income, you can build up a different type of account. So not your 401k. Obviously, you want to contribute to your 401k, especially if your employer is matching, right? Do not miss out on the free match. However, once you've deferred enough to get the match, you may want to consider contributing to a Roth IRA. Now, there are AGI, Adjusted Gross Income Restrictions, for you to be able to contribute. However, you can do what's called a backdoor Roth IRA, which is contributing to a traditional IRA, not deducting the contribution, and then converting it to a Roth IRA. Now, I love are, that strategy. It really is awesome. Now, there are some things to be aware of. If you already have an IRA, this may not be the best strategy for you because uh, the way the IRS code works here, the internal revenue code, is that you have to aggregate all your IRAs. So if you just try to convert your non-deductible contribution, you have to factor in your other IRA as well, even though it might be a separate IRA when you convert. So I don't want to get into too many details here because it's really case specific. Yeah. But before you do the backdoor Roth, if you already have an IRA, you want to consult your advisor, your accountant to make sure that this works for you. But basically, if you're over the income restrictions to contribute directly to a Roth, you might be able to do a non-deductible contribution to a traditional IRA and then convert it to a Roth IRA. There are no income restrictions to convert a traditional IRA to a Roth IRA. Bear in mind, however, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act changed the rules here, or it might have been the SECURE Act, either one. Uh, if you convert to a Roth, you cannot undo it. It is Yeah, that was a big change. So you convert. better make sure that if you're going to do the conversion, that you're doing it correctly. Yeah, exactly right. So make sure you understand that uh, you cannot undo it back to a traditional IRA. And you used to be able to, but not anymore. Not anymore. Okay, so real quick, could you know, get your match in your 401k, maybe do a Roth if you can, if you're under the income restrictions, or look at considering a backdoor Roth. And then there's another type of account, which is just a taxable, non-qualified account. And this is really what the article is referencing. If you contribute to a taxable account, you put money and you buy stocks, let's just say, or really any security, 
uh, capital asset and you hold it for longer than a year, you get to enjoy what are called long-term capital gains rates. And just simply put, this is a tremendous advantage that we currently have under the tax code. Whereas if you have long-term capital gains in one of these types of accounts, so you bought a stock, held it for longer than a year, it went up in value. When you sell that stock, if it's a long-term gain, you pay long-term cap gains rates, not your ordinary income. Now, long-term gains has three different rates, 0%, 15%, or 20%. And basically, if you're married, you get to enjoy the 0% long-term cap gains rate all the way up to approximately $80,000 of taxable income. And you don't hit the 20% rate until you're above $400,000 of taxable income. So what does that mean? That means if you build up your 401k, your Roth IRA, and one of these taxable accounts where you can take advantage of the 0% long-term cap gains rate. When you get to retirement, you can take a distribution from your 401k, let's say up through the 10 or 15% ordinary income tax bracket. You would want to use those brackets, right? Those are pretty low yes, brackets. Yes, the low, low brackets. So I'm going to take a distribution from my 401k, hypothetically, up through my 10% or 15% rate. I get my standard deduction or itemized deductions, right? Mm -hmm. Depending on what I'm doing throughout the tax year. Now, the thing about the tax code, a lot not a lot of people realize this, is that your standard deduction or itemized deductions actually reduce ordinary income first. Nice. So let, let's just say that I had $50,000 ordinary income. And let's say my... Uh, Deduction was $20,000. Okay, so that drops me back down to 30000 of ordinary income. And let's say that I want to, I've got some money in a taxable account. I've got some long term cap gains to the tune of, say, 50000 So I could then sell $50,000 of uh, gain, you know, some stocks that I had $50,000 of gain. That stacks up on top of my $30,000 of income. So now 30 plus 50, I'm at 80. Guess what I pay on that $50,000 capital gain? Zero percent. So you enjoyed the 10% rate up through the 30,000, roughly 3,000 in tax, and then zero percent on the next $50,000. Beautiful that, thing. Is amazing, right? So your effective tax rate would be around three percent, right? I mean, on the full hundred. Yeah, and we've got we've got a number of people that uh, that have been able to utilize that strategy that you just went through, and and I've seen as we've been running the tax returns through and doing the analysis that they paid a zero percent cap gains rate. It points it right out in the analysis. So, so just I've seen it work firsthand. Think how much more your or how much longer your retirement portfolio can last you if you're paying zero percent in taxes. 
Now, I'm going to bring up something because this is current tax code. There, There have been a number of proposals to tax the capital gains of investments before they're even sold, Ryan, because those capital gains don't get triggered under current tax law until something is sold. There have been a number of politicians now proposing that we tax these capital gains even when you've had no sale. So what that amounts to is you would be taxed on something you didn't sell, but there was a gain. But now where do you get the money to pay the taxes? Because you haven't sold anything. Exactly. And, and what happens if there's a loss? I mean, just just something to be aware of. Uh, one of the conversations that, that we have had is that politics and policy matters at the end of the day. And and again, we can't control a lot of this stuff. But th- there there comes a time when common sense needs to prevail, in my opinion. And this is one of the worst ideas I have ever seen come come from a proposed tax policy. So we can we can see leveling capital gains um, at reasonable levels when something is sold, but when there's nothing that has been sold, um, it just it just seems unreasonable. I'll leave right. it, I'll leave it out there for people just to kind of watch and pay attention to. So I I agree. Um, but if if you want to learn more about this, obviously we're available to talk to you about whether this applies to your situation. A good place to start is also that article I referenced that we'll link. Um, and it's a little bit dated. It's about ten years old, so the numbers are off, but the strategy still works. And so the fundamentals to- are still there, and they still work. It's just our the tax rates are different now than they were then. Absolutely. So, you know, again, when you get to retirement, if you need $100,000 from your portfolio, as as opposed to taking it all from your 401k and paying, you know, 30% taxes or 25% tax, what if you have your 401k, a Roth IRA, and one of these taxable accounts? Well, you can pull some money out out of your 401k, you know, say like $40,000 taxed at, say, 10%. Do your capital gains rate, you know, sell some long-term gain stock, for example, pay 0%. Then if you need more money, again, you could take money out of a Roth IRA. We didn't even mention that, but Roth no, IRA, we didn't. If, you're, if you've had the money for five years and you're 59 and a half, then 100% of that distribution is tax-free. Yep. So, I mean, you could, if you have all three buckets, 401k, Roth IRA, taxable account. In theory, if you had enough money in each bucket, you could withdraw, say, a hundred thousand dollars, and you know only pay around four or five percent effective tax rate on the whole thing, depending on how it was structured. That's certainly yeah. better than paying twenty five, thirty percent. It absolutely is. And there's there's one additional bucket. Let's let's talk about the tax free you know, tax free bucket we talked about as far as the Roth IRAs go. But additionally, there's some people that will use municipal bonds. And if those are purchased in their state of residence, there's typically no um, state income taxes or, or federal income taxes. So that's, that's one potential thing that, uh, that we've seen people do. And again, not a recommendation. It's just something that we've seen done. And then the, uh, the other thing, the possible strategy is using cash value life insurance to provide protection in the form of a death benefit. Uh, and inside of that cash value, that cash value grows tax deferred 
inside of a life insurance policy. And there's ways to remove that money tax advantage. So there's no taxes due when the money's removed from the policy if you needed to use it for, for retirement purposes. And then additionally, uh, any type of death benefit that passes along to your beneficiaries passes tax-free. So there are a number of ways to to get there. But again, it just takes some very careful and, and thoughtful planning. Um, again, in alignment with your values and goals, which is vitally important um, to, to try to utilize uh, a number of different strategies. There's other strategies also. We want to, we kind of want to talk about some of the most common ones. If you're a business owner, there there are some other advantages that uh, that you might be able to to take advantage of by consulting your your CPA or tax attorney. But um, there are a number of ways to legally get there using the tax code, and I can't stress that enough. There's no reason to take any shortcuts with uh, the advantages that uh, that we're given in the tax code. No, there there's plenty here. Um, and just to give you a little bit of uh, what kind of overall value this can add, I, I did this for a client, we'll call him Steve, um, a couple of years ago. And Steve was utilizing some free software that he found online that was uh, showing him how long his money was going to last, what his portfolio uh, was going to be, you know, throughout his retirement. <clears throat> and he he was fine with it, but he asked me to do you know a second opinion, see if I could find a better strategy. So he fortunately had built up Roth IRA, had built up a large stock account, taxable account. So I showed him this strategy uh, where we're going to take a little bit out from this account, then we're going to stack long-term cap gains on top of that, and then Roth distribution on top of that. And it added over $2.5 million in value to his $3 million portfolio over his, you know, expected his life expectancy over two and a half million dollars of extra value utilizing some of these strategies versus just taking it all out of one account first and then the next account and then the next account, like the software was proposed. Hey, thanks for sharing that. And with that, we're going to go ahead and wrap it up today. So if you don't want to run out of money before you run out of breath or have sleepless nights, be subject to the reactions of the whims of the market, then you need to plan your retirement income strategies as soon as reasonably possible. Any last minute tidbits, Ryan? Well, it's never too late uh, to do this. Even if you are retired, there are some strategies we can still implement in retirement. So it's never too early. It's never too late. Uh, the time is now. How, how do people get a hold of us that wanted to reach out? Well, they can visit us on at our various websites. There's contact information, Front Porch FP. That's financial planning, Front Porch FP. Dot com is where you can find me. Uh, Verso, V-E-R-S-O, wealth.com is Scott and my shared um, wealth management company. And then our website address is focusfg.com. That's focusfoxtrotgolf.com. And again, our contact information is on there also. We'll have the uh, the link down in the show notes, but we appreciate you being with us today. Thank you so much. 
Thank you for listening to the Wealth Navigation Podcast. Visit our website at www.wealthnavigationpodcast.com to get in touch with us. And don't forget to click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Focus Financial Group Incorporated or Front Porch Financial Planning. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service providers with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. 